If you share the gospel, you will lead people to Christ. If you share the gospel, you will lead people to Christ. If you share the gospel, you will lead people to Christ. Jesus says the harvest is plenty. The harvest is plenty. And if you share the gospel, you will lead people to Christ. However, if you do not share the gospel, you will not lead people to Christ. Wonder why you're not leading people to Christ? Anybody know? It's because you're not sharing the gospel. I had a, a five-minute conversation with myself uh, before I came up here. I was... <laughs> me and myself. Uh, and I was this close to just saying that and walking off stage. Because I think ministry is that easy. If you share the gospel, you will lead people to Christ. You want to know how to do ministry? Share the gospel. You want to know how to, how, how to see people come to Christ, see lives transformed? Share the gospel. You don't want to do that? Don't share the gospel. It's that easy. Tonight, we're going to look at some, some key statements that Jesus made. Seven statements that Jesus made about evangelism. What evangelism looked like in his life. Um, what ministry looked like in his life. And I mean, I'm going to propose that, that ministry in the life of Jesus, discipleship in the life of Jesus started. The foundation, the fabric of his ministry was sharing the kingdom, the gospel, the message of the kingdom. And we see today, when you share the gospel, people come to Christ. Ethan Johnstone, great guy. Ethan, this semester started a ministry at University of California, Riverside. He sat down over a period of, of a couple months, sat down with 20 guys from the SIGEP fraternity, looked them in the eye, individually shared the gospel with 20 guys. 16 of those guys said, no thanks. No thanks. I don't need the salvation you're talking about. I don't need God in my life. I don't need religion. No thanks. 16 said, looked him in the eye and said, I hear the message you're saying. I hear what you're talking about, but no. But four. Four. Carson. Chris. Luis. And another one. Four of them. Four said yes. Four said salvation? Yes. Four said forgiveness of my sins? Yes. From darkness to life? Yes. Four said yes. We want to follow Christ. When you share the gospel, people come to Christ. You want to make a transformation in your campus? Share the gospel. You want to see people people change from the inside out, share the gospel. Because when you share the gospel, people come to Christ. Seven statements that Jesus made. They're all in the book of Mark. You can write them down. They're going to be on the screen. Seven statements that Jesus made. The first, Mark 1.17. Jesus said this, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. What we're going to see is the importance of seven key concepts uh, seven ideas that, that Jesus, when he made this statement, that we can take and apply to our ministries today. The first thing is the importance of purpose. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Christ's ministry had a, a defined, a definite purpose, a definite direction, and that was to make fishers of men. We see throughout the life of Christ, when he invites people to follow him, the purpose 
It wasn't for their own benefit. They benefited from it. They, they grew, and man, I can't imagine what it would be like to, to walk uh, next to, to the to living Christ right there and see Him with your eyes and touch Him. Man, that would be amazing. I'm sure they benefited from from that. But but it wasn't just for their benefit, but it was for the benefit of others that He called them to follow Him so that they could be fishers of men. In Mark 3.14, it says that He appoints 12 of these guys, 12 of the people that are following Him. He appoints 12 that they might be with Him so that He could send them out to preach. Christ's purpose in ministry and discipleship was to equip people to share the Gospel, to advance the Gospel, to be fishers of men. Uh, to be a to be a follower of Christ, according to that verse, it says, "Follow me." It's a promise. Follow me, and if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. To be a follower of Christ from that verse means that you are a fisher of men. If you are not a fisher of men, according to that verse, you are not a follower of Christ. Now, I don't know. Uh, I, that's just logic. It's uh, modus tollens, I think, is the the syllogism. But if you do not follow, if you do not fish for men, you're not a follower of Christ. Fishing for men marks a follower of Christ. It's kind of like uh, you can make some observations about this building. It's a classy building, okay, right? Would you say, I think it's classy. One of the nicest buildings I've ever stayed in in my life. Like, beautiful. Um, and here's some observations you can make to know that it's a classy building. Uh, you have upholstered chair backs, okay? Just lean back real quick. That's nice, isn't it? All right? That's classy, all right? Um, you, you you see plants all over the building, and, and they're fake, but you have to go touch them just to make sure, right? That's classy, okay? That is classy. There's like framed stuff on the walls. That's classy. There's like touches of wood, like warm mahogany everywhere. I mean, that is, that's classy. There's an indoor pond. Like a fountain indoor. That's classy. And the, the, the main way that I know that this building is classy is because the automated voice for the elevator. It's a British accent. That. That is classy. See, so look and you see these things and it just marks this building as classy, right? If you want to know what a follower of Christ looks like, you look. You look for people who are fishing for men. That. That marks a follower of Christ. You want to be a follower of Christ? Fish for men. When Jesus called people to follow Him, He didn't just invest in people for their own benefit. He didn't just try to find people that were already following Him. But He he, he called them to follow Him so that they can reach others. If you're just investing in Christians, if your whole ministry is built around trying to find Christians and make them more Christian... Uh, it's kind of like uh, going to Red Lobster to go fishing, okay? You don't go to Red Lobster to go fishing, okay? Those things are already caught. It doesn't work that way, Brosif, okay? Like, those fish are caught. That is not what fishing is. Fishing is doing hard work. It's going out to a pond. It's throwing a bait out there. I don't know how to do it, really, but I've heard. Um, that's what fishing is. It's hard, but you do it yourself and you catch these fish on your own. You don't go to where they're already caught. If you're just investing in people that are already Christian and you're not trying to reach the lost, that's not discipleship according to Jesus. When Jesus said, go make disciples, he said, go transform lives from darkness to light. That's discipleship in Jesus' eyes. 
Now, He doesn't let you off. He doesn't let you leave these people because in the Great Commission, He says, go make disciples and teach them everything I've commanded you. Continue to invest in them. Teach them how to walk with me, how to pray, how to, uh, how to spend time in the Word. He doesn't let you off. But when He says, go make disciples, what He means is to see people come to Christ. If all you do is invest in people who are already walking with Jesus, you're not doing discipleship. You're doing recycleship, okay? You're just taking old Christians, making them a little more Christian, and sending them on their way. <laughs> when you come follow Jesus, He makes a fisherman out of you. That's the first statement. We've got to understand the, the importance of purpose. That was the purpose of Jesus' discipleship. And it should be the, the purpose of our discipleship. When we invest in people, it should be to equip them and build them into people who will be fishers of men. The importance of purpose. The second thing we're going to see, uh, in Mark 1.15, Jesus says this. The importance, we're going to see the importance of intentionality. Uh, Mark 1.15, this is when Jesus pops on the scene, one of the first uh, words in red in Mark. He says this, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. Jesus came with a specific message at a specific time. A specific message at a specific time. Jesus was intentional with his message. He was intentional with his life. Discipleship. Ministry, evangelism, it's about intentionality, being intentional, carrying a specific message at a specific time. Uh, I used to, um, I used to teach this, and this is a great concept, so I want you to hear it. Uh, evangelism is not a, 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 evangelism is not an event, it's a process. And the idea with that statement is that evangelism is not about inviting people to pizza bash or inviting people to, um, like, watch the passion of Jesus Christ on your projector in your room or something like that. Like, that's not evangelism. It's not this event. Um, but it's this process of seeing people walk um, towards Christ. I'm going to tweak it a little bit. I recently heard this, and, man, I think it, it, it really explains it so much better. Evangelism is an event, but it's an event in the process of discipleship. It's an event. It's a specific message at a specific time where you look someone in the eye and you explain who Jesus is, how we're all sinners, how we're separated from God, and how we can have a relationship with, with God through, through the death of Christ. How we can, by just admitting our sin and believing in Him and, and committing our life to Him as Lord, we can have a relationship with God. That specific message at a specific time, that's evangelism. Evangelism is not like smiling at people. Uh, Evangelism is not saying, like, try little Christian phrases like, well, God bless, or uh, putting a bumper sticker on your car, no Jesus, no peace, no Jesus, no peace. You know, that's not evangelism. Um, I mean, evangelism is, is a specific message at a specific time. Uh, I, one thing we try to uh, do at, at California Baptist University is uh, we use what we call gospel appointments. We use them like crazy. Uh, we're trying to get face-to-face with people, that we can really uh, deliver that specific message. And so uh, my ministry at CBU, my personal ministry, because I I try to help people equip them for ministry, and then I I always have a personal ministry where I'm trying to reach the lost on my campus as well. And so my personal ministry is with the uh, wrestling team, because I used to wrestle in high school. That was uh, 50 pounds ago. Um, Maybe more. (laughs) But I used to wrestle in high school, and uh, so I kind of have a connection there. And so I'm building relationships with these guys. And uh, what I'll do is I'll say, Daniel, 
man, one thing I try to do with everybody on the team is just uh, talk to everyone about my personal relationship with God and what that looks like in my life. Man, I'd love to sit down and talk to you about that. Uh, can we get together tomorrow or, or uh, the day after? Which is better for you? He says, well, I, tomorrow, I guess. Can I get your number? I'll text you. So I, I set up an appointment to share the gospel. I've already done the awkward thing of turning the conversation. And instead of saying, Daniel, boy, that was a tough match, wasn't it? Yeah, that was tough. You know what else is tougher? What? Eternity in hell. Let me tell you about Jesus. <laughs> you want to hear now, right? Like, <laughs> See, I, I'm not blindsiding these guys with the gospel. What I'm doing is I'm, I'm setting up a time... Where they're thinking through, man, what do I think about eternal things? What do I think about uh, just relationship with God and all that stuff? They're thinking about it. Man, um, man, I've had some just great success setting up gospel appointments. And, uh, And then when I go into these gospel appointments, my goal is to carry the specific message of the gospel. The goal isn't to see people come to Christ. That's uh, that's not my side of the table. That's not anything I have control over. My goal is to deliver a, a decision opportunity to every person, to give each person that I talk to an opportunity to, to begin a relationship with Christ. I use this phrase, would you like to make Jesus Lord of your life right now? And if I, if I get to that phrase, if I ask them that question, man, that's success in my mind because I've given them a, a decision opportunity. You see that with Jesus? Young ruler comes up and says, I'd like to follow you. And, and Jesus says what? Okay, sure. Have you done the law? Have you done all that? Oh, yeah, I've done all that. Uh, well, okay, sell everything and follow me. See, he forces that guy to decide. He gives him a decision opportunity. In John 6, you see it again. Uh, Jesus uh, yells out in this crowd. He was wild. He yells out, eat my flesh, drink my blood. Which I don't even know what that really means. but <laughs> No, I do. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. And, and everybody's like, man, that's a hard saying. That's, man, that's crazy. And it says many, many of the people that were following him, many of his uh, disciples walked away. And he turned to his disciples. And he said, man, do you, wanna, you guys want to go too? There's the door. You're welcome to leave. See, Jesus gave people opportunities to make a decision. And so when I'm talking about evangelism, I mean, I'm not talking about uh, throwing bits and pieces of the gospel out and hoping that they put it together. Man, I'm talking about clearly sharing the message of, of sin, repentance, forgiveness, and, and giving people an opportunity to follow Christ. Man, that's what I'm talking about. We have to be intentional with a specific message at a specific time. You know, I find that I do what I plan. I do what I plan. Typically, uh, if I plan on doing something, I'm going to do it. Like, I plan on eating tomorrow, okay? I'm probably going to get that done couple times. <laughs> I, I plan uh, on sleeping tonight. I guarantee I will do that one. Man, I plan, I plan on getting on Facebook at some time and denying 450 Farmville requests. Okay? <laughs> Don't send me any. Those are all things that I'm planning on doing. Typically, man, I do what I plan. Okay? You're probably the same way. If you, if you plan on doing something, you might not do it, but typically you, you get it done. Uh, and I find the, the reverse is true. I, I typically don't do what I don't plan on doing. Okay? If I don't plan on doing something, I probably don't do it. I've never built a pyramid in my backyard. Okay? <laughs> Haven't planned on doing that. I, I've never, I'm not planning on flying to Maine tomorrow. 
I will not be doing that. Uh, I do not plan on, on cheering for the University of Texas Longhorns. Uh, Thursday or any other day the rest of my life. Uh, sorry if you're fan. I, I don't plan on eating pickled pig's feet. I just don't plan on that, and I will not probably do that. See, the things that I don't plan on doing, I don't do. Um, so if you're not planning on sharing the gospel, you probably won't. I, I can't remember the last time somebody pointed a gun to my head and said, tell me the gospel. It hasn't happened more than five times, you know? <laughs> See, if you don't plan on doing something, you're not going to do it. But, but, a lot of times if you plan on doing something, you will. I planned... This last semester, I plan on sharing the gospel. My goal was to hit all the guys on the wrestling team. You know what? I came short. I just shared with about 30. But that was all right. <laughs> I plan on sharing with a lot of them. And I was able to share the gospel with a lot of guys on the wrestling team. A lot of them said yes. Importance of intentionality. The next thing we're going to see, the next statement Jesus makes is this. Is this in Mark 5:19? Uh, this guy, he just casts out a, a bunch of demons from this guy. His life was changed. He wanted to follow Jesus, and Jesus says, "No, man, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how He has had mercy on you." You got to see the importance of a changed life. Man, we want to be per- pers- we want to have a purposeful. We want to be purposeful in our ministry and our discipleship uh, towards the lost. Uh, we want to be intentional about sharing a specific message at a specific time. But we have to have transformed, changed lives in order to see this happen. A changed life, a transformed body creates envy. And I'll tell you what I mean. There's this guy on the wrestling team named Enoch. Dude is ripped. Okay, like, um, I didn't bring any pictures because we all would lust, guys included. Okay, like, he is just ripped. Uh, he's got muscles coming out of his forehead. I didn't know you could do that. But every time I see Enoch, I just want to do push-ups, okay? Like, I just think, maybe someday. Uh, and I just see this guy. And I'm like, I, I want, I have envy. I mean, I just want to be like that guy. He's just so beautiful. Uh, like 12 packs, right? I mean, a transformed body. Man, that kind of creates envy. A couple, like a year and a half ago, Maybe like two years ago, I ran this thing called the Turkey Trot. Okay, Turkey Trot. Uh, it's where you run Thanksgiving morning to like make room for all the food you're about to eat. I ran cross country in high school, and so about twelve, I took a, like a break for about twelve years until the Turkey Trot. Um, <laughs> and uh, I thought, man, it's just it's five miles. I did that all the time, and so we got to the starting line, fired the gun. I ran uh, one time uh, before this within twelve years of no. Fire the gun, we all take off, and I just jet, because I'm feeling pretty good, right? Like, I I used to do this all the time in high school. About the first uh, half mile, I'm looking really good. Just all the people I'm with are like, you know, have all the Under Armour stuff on, and just look awesome. And so I'm running with them, and I start to get winded. I start to slow down, slow down, slow down. Uh, and then, so they just take off, and then other people start passing me. And I'm okay because the people that are passing me are like skinny little dudes. You're like, they run all the time. That's fine. And then more people start passing me. And and these people, and not to be mean, but uh, these people have a little bit more body mass that are passing me. And, and I'm not feeling as good about myself anymore. And then just some really crazy people start passing me. Like this girl that was running in jeans. Okay, like she just... <laughs> 
she pulled over to the side of the road and said, I want to run this thing. And I don't know what happened, but she passed me like she's going. I keep going. And this woman with a stroller <laughs> runs past. And that's like the last straw. I'm like, no, this isn't going to happen. So I, like, I kind of, I'm Brian Zuniga. And I just take off and uh, I pass her. Yeah. Um, then she repasses me and <laughs> never see her again. The bottom, though, was when this 90-year-old guy, just like with a walker, (laughs) he didn't have a walker, but he's running, um, and there's another guy with him. It's this blind guy. He has a guide that's like telling him where to go, Um, and he's like like 104 years old, and he just like flies by me. Uh, That was kind of the last straw. I realized, man, I need to change, okay? I need to change, and so I started running a little more. Transformed bodies, like, create envy. And you know what? Uh, like a transformed life, man, that creates a righteous envy in people. A transformed life creates a righteous envy in people. I don't know if you know a lot of lost people, but man, the, the more lost people I get to know, the more I realize that they envy your life. They really do. They envy people that, that aren't addicted uh, to, to alcohol. They envy people. Uh, who don't just have rage like p- coming out of them all the time. They envy people uh, who've been freed from sin. They really do. Transform lives, create a righteous envy. And if you want to see people come to Christ, man, First uh, Peter says, "Be holy, as your heavenly Father is holy." Uh, the the law the law was given for this reason. Deuteronomy four, Moses kind of re- just repeats the whole law, and he says this: See, I've taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me. Observe these laws, observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations. Moses tells the the people, man, observe the Ten Commandments, observe these laws, so that when these nations look in, they'll say, man, God, that God that they serve, man, he's pretty wise. It'll create a righteous envy. Man, I just wonder what, what lost people think when they look at our lives. I really wonder what internationals think when they look at our lives. When they, when they see how Christians uh, treat their girlfriends, boyfriends, what they do with their, their girlfriends on the weekend. Uh, when, they, when they look and see how Christians uh, talk about other Christians behind their back. I wonder what people from other countries think. I wonder if they're like, man, no thanks. I'll stick with Allah, who's pure, who's holy. I'll stick with Buddha, who's good, who's pure, who's enlightened. Man, see, uh, it's so important that we live a transformed, changed life so that our message, uh, our message that we're carrying uh, isn't destroyed by our life. Live a transformed life. Uh, The next thing that we see is the importance of unity. The importance of unity. And we can look at this two ways. Uh, the, first, the first thing, like we do need to be unified as, as, as a body of people who are um, kind of on the same path. Uh, I mean, I love, um, I love what Nebraska and K-State does with their edge groups and their life groups. Because, uh, I mean, you see evangelism is like, it's community. Uh, when you look at Jesus' life, I mean, he had guys with him all the time. And that's what, what advancing the gospel was. They did it in unity. But really what I'm talking about here is, is a, a desire and a passion to see other groups, other ministries that are kind of different than us, uh, to, to rejoice when they share the gospel. 
Mark 9, it looks like this. Jesus, uh, these disciples came up to him and said, Man, there's some people down the street that are uh, doing some crazy stuff in your name, like casting out demons and stuff. Would you stop them? Would you stop these people? And Jesus says this, Do not stop them. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. Forever is not against us, it's for us. And I think sometimes jealousy and pride run rampant in Christian ministries. We, some, we see some guy leading a Bible study. He's got like 40 people. And uh, we're begging one <laughs> to come to ours. And it's easy to get a little jealous. We see a ministry down the street really doing some, uh, having big groups. And it's easy to get jealous. And it's easy to start poking at them and saying, well, yeah, but they don't do things right. Yeah, but... Man, their, their theology is just a little off. Yeah, but uh, just, uh, I, they're leading a lot of people astray. And if if they believe the core doctrine of the gospel, if they believe that I mean we're separated from God and, and only saved by grace, here's what Paul says about those people. Paul's in prison. And, and, Philippian, and, and he writes the book of Philippians. He's in prison in Rome. And, uh, and there's these people, and I'm not sure what they're doing, uh, but he talks about him. He says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. But the former, these guys, they preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. It's not just that they have a little different views of of some minor issues, some minor doctrinal issues. But these guys are actually trying to hurt Paul, trying to harm him somehow. I'm not sure how they were trying to do that. But in, in some way, they were trying to really stick it to Paul. And here's what Paul says. What does it matter? Important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ has preached... And because of this, I rejoice. Yes. And I will continue to rejoice. And if there's some people down the street, different denomination, different ministry, that believe differently on some minor issues than you, but they're sharing the gospel, they're advancing God's kingdom, and what Paul says is, man, he rejoices over that. Jesus says, don't stop them. The Christian body, the Christian, uh, like the whole of Christianity is described as a family, as a body. It means those people are brothers and sisters. Um, even that guy that like comes to our campus and like says weird things all the time, um, like just yells at us, you know that guy? Neil Walker calls that our crazy uncle, okay? <laughs> but man, these people are brothers and sisters. And if they're sharing the gospel, rejoice. Rejoice. It's so important that we stop poking, prodding, and slashing and slandering other people just for minor issues, minor theology. Uh, Ephesians 4.31, it says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Titus says, Remind the people to be subject to rulers, authorities, be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceful, considerate, and to show true humility towards all men. And this is why. Because Jesus said in John 13... By this, all men will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. If you have love for one another. And what do lost people think when they hear us 
bashing other ministries, other groups. They don't have love for one another. So we have to see the importance of unity uh, for evangelism. Next thing is the importance of bearing fruit. Mark 4.20, Jesus just shared the parable of the sower, and he talks about the, the good soil. He said there's four types of soil. He talks about the good soil. He said there's a hard soil, there's rocky, thorny soil, but there's some soil that when the seed hits the soil, it's going to spring up. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be seed sown on good soil, and they're going to hear the word and accept it and produce, produce a crop 30, 60, or 100 times what was sown. Followers of Christ produce fruit. Followers of Christ produce fruit. I have a dog, uh, a Sharpe Lab, which means he's a wrinkled lab. Uh, he, uh, his name is Norman. Great name, right? Uh, his name's Norman. And uh, people, he's an awesome dog. He's like a football dog. So what that means is instead of like sit and stuff like that, I tell him down and he, uh, he sits down. And I say set and he doesn't move. And I say hut and he comes after me. Isn't that awesome? If I want him to come to me, I'm like, Norman, huddle. And so he'll come on over. Great dog. People say weird things to dogs, though. Really weird things. Like, they can understand them or something. Uh, and sometimes, like, people do this. This really bugs me when they're like, they call me the dog's dad. They're like, oh, your daddy. Or Jennifer, his mommy. And I'm just like, I did not produce that thing, okay? <laughs> his dad it, left him at youth, Okay probably licking himself in some gutter, okay? Like, but I am not that thing's dad, all right? I don't know if you know how it works, but mommy dog and daddy dog create what? A baby dog, okay? A mommy elephant and a daddy elephant create a baby, okay? Um, mommy giraffe, daddy giraffe create a baby, okay? It works like this with plants, too, okay? An apple tree makes what? Apple seeds or apples? <laughs> Who says seeds? <laughs> you really love those seeds, okay? Um, a pear tree makes what? And and cherry tree makes what? So what do Christians produce? Christians. Christians produce Christians. If you're not seeing fruit in your life, if you're not seeing people follow Christ because of your life. And I would get crazy about sharing the gospel because Christians produce Christians. And that's just nature. <laughs> Importance of bearing fruit, producing fruit. Next thing is this importance of expansion. Mark one thirty eight. Mark 138. Jesus just started his ministry. Crazy stuff's happening. People are coming out of the woodworks to see this guy, to, to follow him, to hear him. And uh, all these people come around and uh, they're talking about, uh, should we start a mega church or what should we do? Uh, should we do live broadcasts? I'm not sure. And Jesus says this crazy thing, this wild thing. He says, let's go to the next towns and preach the gospel there. Because that's why I came. The Christian faith is meant to advance. The Christian faith is meant to expand until the whole world, the knowledge of the glory of the world of the Lord fills the, the, the earth like the waters cover the sea. That's what the Christian faith is meant to do. And it is expanding. I want you to know that. Sometimes it's hard to, to understand that. But the Christian faith is expanding. Look at this. Uh, there's um, 
1,600 churches that open every week. 28,000 people accept Christ every day in China. 20,000 in Africa. 70,000 worldwide. Korea, a uh, hundred years ago, they say you couldn't touch Korea. Now it's 30% Christian uh, with 4,000 4, churches in uh, Seoul alone. And for every one unreached people group, that's a group of people that have no access to the gospel, who's cut off from the gospel. For every one unreached people group, you've got 910 churches. Man, the gospel is advancing. Isn't that awesome? The gospel is advancing. This is what it's advancing towards. Revelation 7, 9. This is the, the picture that God's putting together. John writes at the end of time and he, and he looks and he sees this great multitude that no one could count. Look where they're from. They're from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues. And they're standing before the throne. They're worshiping the Lamb. This is the mosaic that God's putting together. Do you see that? Do you see the beautiful picture that God's putting together? It's like this multicultural ethnic Jesus party, okay? If you're white, I just want you to know if you're white, you're going to be in the minority in heaven, okay? PowerPoint will probably be in Mandarin. But this, (laughs) this is what God's doing in the world. This is where He's expanding His kingdom to. And this is is where we're commanded to take the the, the gospel to, to every tribe, tongue, and nation. But this is what the world looks like right now. If you look at that map, uh, the blue areas, that's what Christianity is. And right now, 2,000 years after Christ commanded us to go make disciples of all the nations. The yellow areas, that's, that's what Christianity is in. Um, and if you drew a line at 10 degrees latitude, 40 degrees latitude uh, around Asia to Africa, you'd get this part of the world what we call the 1040 window. And in around that part of the world, you've got... of all the world's unreached people groups. 88% of all the people that are cut off from the gospel, that have no access to the gospel. And yet, here's where we're sending our missionaries. If you look at the the, the blue, that's where we send the most missionaries. In the yellow areas, that's where we send the least missionaries. It's like we're purposely staying out of the areas that God told us to reach. Here's some statistics on what's being done to reach those uh, unreached parts of the world. Above the line, those are places that are reached, that have churches, that have Christians. Below the lines, those are unreached places. So in Argentina, you've got one missionary for every 180 people. Peru, you've got one for 240. France, you've got one for every 1,100. But in Turkey, you've got one missionary for every 270,000 people. India, you've got one for every 2 million. Iran, you've got one for every 3 million. And I just wonder why. Is, is God like senile? Is he up in heaven thinking, oh shoot, I just called another person to Argentina. What was I thinking? See, be careful when you use that phrase, called. I mean, I'd, I'd go to Argentina, God, but I'm just not called. Or I'd, I'd love to go to India, but I'm just not called. I'd love to go to, to Iran where there's one missionary for every three million people, but I'm just not called. Be careful when you say that, because when, when you say that, who do you point the finger at for this situation? It's not my fault, God. Because I'm awesome. It must be you. You just haven't called enough people. See, God's not senile. 
God's left the command to go make disciples of all the nation. And He invites every one of us to be a part of what He's doing to reach this part of the world. But most Christians that I know don't make their decisions on what they do and where they live and, and why they do it based on uh, expansion of God's kingdom. They do it based on family and comfort. They do it based on family and comfort. This is where God's going now. So the next thing we're going to look at is the importance of loving the lost. Mark 2, 17. Jesus says, it's not the healthy. I need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And you've got to build a compassion for the lost. My dog, Norman, poor guy, tore his ACL. Okay, I do not know how a dog does that. I honestly do not. Um, were you playing soccer? I don't know, like, what were you doing? Um, he's a dog. Uh, but he tore his ACL, and he looks so pathetic. I'll just be honest with you. Spend enough time with him, and uh, he just uses three legs, okay? One, two, and then three. And this one is always, like, like dragging around, okay? Like, dead weight. Um, just sad. And he's a dog, so he doesn't get surgery, okay? Um, right? <laughs> like, it's... Good luck, kid. Uh, so... Um, it's just pathetic. It's just, it evokes compassion and emotion because you see this pathetic little creature like dragging his poor little leg around. Sometimes he licks it like, please work, but it never does. <laughs> it's just sad. It's so sad. It just pulls at my heartstrings. <laughs> See, often we don't have a compassion for the lost because we don't spend enough time with them to see their pain, see their need. I, I spend time with my dog. I see his pain. Poor guy. <laughs> Man, if you're not spending time with the lost, it's going to be hard to see their pain, to see their need. I sat down with Daniel. I asked him two questions. And in two questions, I saw his pain, I saw his need. I asked him if he was standing before God, and God were to say, Daniel, why should I let you into heaven? What, you would, what would you say? And he said, he shouldn't. He said, I don't know what I would say. Probably telling me he probably shouldn't. I said, Daniel, what percentage chance of getting into heaven would you have if you died right now? And he said, maybe three. Daniel, this is out of a hundred. Yeah, I know. Maybe three. He knew his sin. He had pain for the sin that he had in his life. And when I told him, when I told him that there's a way to be forgiven of that sin, when I said, Daniel, God wants to forgive you for the sin in your life. Well, first he argued, because there's no way that a God could forgive him all the things he did. And then after, I took him and showed him how Paul was a murderer and God forgave him. After I showed him David and and then how God forgave him, he said, it's that easy. I said, yeah. And he embraced God. He embraced Christ because he was in pain. And all he needed was a believer to, to spend some time with him, have compassion on him, and to see that he wanted help. He was in pain. We have to have compassion on the lost. We have to focus on the lost, with our ministries, with our lives. Because that's what Jesus called us to do. Come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Every September, 
been over on, I've, I've been on over 100 campuses in the United States, and, and this is pretty much true. The, the majority of campus ministries, every September, here's what it looks like, uh, they participate in a thing I call Christian Rush, okay? Um, they have a booth, and they line it up next to like Chi Alpha and Wesley and some other groups, and they're all like lined up, and they're vying for all the, uh, the uh, youth group all-stars that come out of high school that are already Christian, and what they're trying to do is build up their little ministries with more people that are Christian, but a few ministries, huh, a few, they don't do the Christian rush. What they do is they try to reach the lost. And every September, they try to build relationships with the lost people. Maybe they're in fraternities. Maybe they're in uh, sports groups. Maybe they're in dorm floors. They try to build relationships with the lost people. They share the gospel with them. And a lot of times, Christians, they see these ministries and they're like, I, I need to know how to do this. And they don't participate in Christian rush because I don't know that Jesus would have necessarily done that. Because when Jesus came to earth, he said, let's go to the next towns and preach the gospel. When Jesus came and called his disciples, he said, follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. When Jesus talked about discipleship and ministry, he started with evangelism. He was focused on the lost. Do you understand the lostness of man? And maybe sometimes the reason people don't uh, share the, the gospel is they don't understand that people are really lost. That people didn't grow up like you in church and uh, people didn't always know that there's forgiveness of sin available. Man, there are people really lost. Uh, Acts 4, 12 says there's only one name under heaven by which men may be saved. It's the name of Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Daniel knew that he didn't deserve salvation. And Daniel didn't know what exactly he deserved, but he knew it wasn't good. But here's what, what Daniel deserved. John Kelsey put together this, uh, uh, he taught about hell in his church. And he, he sent me this information on, that he put together about what hell looks like. Um, here's some just descriptions of hell. Uh, Matthew and Jude talk about it, how it's darkness. And this isn't just darkness like you turn off the lights and you kind of adjust and you can see some things. But it's just black darkness. You can't make out anything in there. You have no point of reference. It says it's a fire, unquenchable fire, lake of fire. It's not just uh, whenever you like burn yourself. And the first time you ever did it, I was six years old. I burned myself on something and just yanked my finger back as fast as I could. And that one little moment uh, ruined my week, okay? Like, that was bad. But this is unquenchable, ongoing. It doesn't stop fire. You don't sleep. You, you never stop. It's just always there, always burning. Bottomless pit. And this means there's like no point of reference. We have the ground. Uh, we have walls that we can touch if we're like going crazy or something. Uh, we have a frame of reference. But in hell, there's nothing. You try to reach out for something to steady yourself. There's just nothing. Torment forever, no rest, day or night. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell, hell doesn't... Hell starts, uh, this eternal punishment never ends. It starts at death, never ends, never ends, goes on forever. I mean, that's, that's where the lost are going. That's, uh, that's a picture of what's to be given to these people. I mean, you have to understand that people are lost. So the seven things we looked at, basically this, your discipleship, your ministry, According to Christ, if you look at how Jesus did his ministry, how Jesus did his discipleship, 
began with evangelism and it, it was purposeful. He called people to follow him to make them fishers of men. It was intentional. He carried a specific message at a specific time. It was out of a changed life. The people that he was inviting to follow him had transformed their lives. It was full of grace and unity towards others. Produced fruit and kept expanding to the least reached. And it was focused on the lost. A lot of you are going to consider full-time ministry, which I hope you do. I really hope you do. And a lot of you, some of you are going to consider full-time ministry in, in areas of the world that are unreached, that have no access to the gospel right now. I think that's awesome. A lot of you are going to do that. Um, but don't think anything's going to change because you buy a plane ticket. Uh, I was in Central Asia last uh, May, and uh, I was talking to one of the workers there, and uh, she said that she made this really... Um, Bold statement, like telling statement. She said, when I came here, I thought things would be different. I thought I'd have a ton of Muslim friends. I thought I'd be sharing the gospel every day. But I realized, I realized if I wasn't doing it in America, I didn't do it here. What does your life look like right now? Are you intentional about sharing the gospel? Are you advancing God's kingdom? Because if you don't do it now, uh, in the safety of college, man, college is a great place to learn evangelism. Because you see people you'll never see again, okay? You can just really mess up big time and just keep walking, all right? Uh, college is a great place to learn evangelism. But if you don't do it now, chances are, man, this is never going to be a habit in your life. Uh, evangelism's hard. Sharing the gospel, setting up gospel appointments, getting people to decision opportunities. Man, that's hard. It's really, it's kind of awkward and really scary. I'm going to be honest. It scares me. There's a book called uh, Share Jesus Without Fear, which I think is the most ridiculous name for a book in the world. Uh, Share Jesus Without Fear. Um, I would read a book if it was called uh, Share Jesus While Peeing Your Pants. Um, (laughs) Sign me up for that one. Uh, It's actually a good book. Uh, But... I mean, it's awkward, it's hard. But let me tell you what, awkward conversations transform lives. The most awkward conversation I ever had was with this uh, beautiful lady named Jennifer. Um, it was actually two awkward conversations. First, uh, uh, we defined the relationship. I was dating her, a second date, and uh, we'd known each other for a couple of years, and so I wanted to define the relationship. And so I said, Jennifer, um, there's a lot of qualities I see in you that I'd, I'd love to have in a wife someday. Maybe that was too much. I don't know. Um, <laughs> she says yes. But, I mean, I just wanted to know if, if we could kind of date and see where this is going. Um, and what do you think? How do you feel? And she said, I feel like I'm going to throw up. <laughs> she just knew it was a big thing. Like, we were, I think I threw the marriage thing out of the way too early. <laughs> My fault. I didn't say marriage. I just said like. Okay, anyway. And that was an awkward conversation, but man, that changed my life. The second awkward conversation was when I got down on one knee and said, Jennifer, um, man, would, would you marry me? It was a little awkward. I was so scared. If anybody's ever proposed, you, that ring is like burning a hole in your pants. Like you just, it's crazy. You're so nervous. And it was an awkward conversation, but it changed the rest of my life for the better. 
when awkward conversations will transform people's lives. Saying, uh, can we sit down and talk about who God is in my life? That is awkward. But it will transform lives. Comfortable, comfortable conversations, normal conversations, comfortable conversations will not transform lives. Talking about football or class, I mean, those conversations don't change lives. But awkward conversations, I mean, those transform lives. And so my prayer for you is that you will have a lot of awkward conversations this spring. And you will intentionally share the gospel on your campus. Because when you share the gospel, people will come to Christ. When you share the gospel, people will come to Christ. Jesus promises. He says the harvest is plenty. So when you share the gospel, get ready because people are going to come to Christ. Can I pray for us? Lord, I do not know why you've chosen to use people to reach people. I don't know why you allowed me to have an awkward conversation with Nico, with Luis, with Matt, with Daniel, with Darius, this, this semester. I don't know why you used me in their lives. And I don't know why you allowed me to speak truth in their lives. But God, I'm grateful that we, that we can be a part of what you're doing to reach the world, to advance your kingdom. And so Lord, t- today I pray that you would put a fire in the hearts of these students, Lord, that they would, they would put a stake in the ground and say, I will have awkward conversations. I will share the gospel on my campus and I will see God work through me and, and lives will be transformed because I'm going to share the gospel. Lord, I pray, I pray that this semester on many of these campuses would be a semester of evangelism, would be a semester of transformed lives as, as people dedicate their lives uh, to the message that you, that you came and you died and you allow freedom and forgiveness uh, to be had. Lord, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.